episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. My friend Grant is here with me today again to speak with me about a very interesting book from the Deuterocanon, um, as some call the Apocrypha, the book of Tobit. But before we go into that, why don't you tell folks a little bit about what you've been up to, Grant? Uh, so we did, I, th- I know I plugged my show the first time, but it's been so long I should probably mention that I am one of the two hosts of uh, Contra Gentiles podcast. Uh, our episode with you was quite spectacular, and I would recommend any fans of yours go listen to that, even if just because it's probably one of the most humble conversations I've had with anybody about like the nature of God. Um, that's also one of Jeremy's favorite episodes of all time. Um, theologically, probably one of the most rich. Um, other than that, aside from my many... Um, born and killed side projects that's kind of what i've been doing on the podcasting front since we last recorded that's excellent i really enjoyed um, coming on your show we, it was an we interesting have, we conversation should, we need to do that again we have a very difficult time of nailing each other down um scheduling wise but it mm-hmm. would be very fun to work that out to do <laughs> another one yeah it's been seven months i think we've been planning this one for for probably a month and a half at this point. Does that sound I right? I think that's, yeah. So when I invited you on Contra Gentiles, I think it took about a month and a half to, for it to, to work out. And that's... the first time we recorded, I think it took three, it was three cancellations <laughs> from both of our ends. So <sighs> I guess that means we're really friends if we can do that <laughs> with that level of frequency and not hate each other. Well, I think it also speaks to how passionate we are about the subject matter that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. So, why Tobit? Um, so my introduction to Tobit, I grew up in a, I don't know if a, it's it's a Grace Brethren Church. I don't think that that's a denomination that's super thriving in the U.S. anymore. Um, there used to be like a network of them. I think it's mostly splintered, but um, you know, kind of a not as not as fundamentalist as a lot of a lot of um kind of the the Protestant sects get, but um definitely like a halfway to fire and brimstone kind of Baptist church. Mm. And in uh, growing up, you know, you learn there's 66 books of the Bible. And I mean, in, in many Bibles, there are 66 books. And then I am doing my show, um, Jeremy and my other um, co-host, Anne Marie, that has since kind of left the show a bit. Um, they're both very Catholic mm-hmm. and they, I don't remember how the conversation came up, but it was like, they were like, yeah, the 72 books of the Bible. And I was like, wait, what are you talking? You're like 73 or whatever it was. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, you guys took out seven books of the Bible. And I was like, uh, did anybody else know that? And apparently like a lot of people actually did know that. And just no one ever told me like, that wasn't a thing I picked up. Um, so yeah, I've just spent a little bit of time familiarizing myself with what was taken out, um, and kind of seeing it for myself. Um, one interesting thing that I, you, 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 did you grow up Catholic? I did. Yeah. Okay. So you're not, you're not in my boat. Um, but 
there's an interesting thing. So this was the first time, I think I went through it like three times or something, but it was the first time going through a book of the Bible that I just didn't like know how to read just from the get go. Like going, go, it was, it was a very strange sensation to like go in fresh to a book of the Bible I'd never heard referenced before. Sure. Yeah. So that was kind of a trip. If that makes sense. Um, so Tobit interested me because it wasn't a book of the Bible that I was at all familiar with, even though I was raised Catholic. Uh, you know, I, I did not really dig into Scripture in, in that way at all. I knew the Gospels. I knew some of the letters, and that was basically it. The, the book of Tobit has everything. So oh. that it was removed from canon, um, not just by the Protestants, but, uh, you know, it's no longer accepted as part of uh, any part of the the um, Jewish scripture, uh, and and f- you know for the most part, it's it's even gotten kind of a backseat now in 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 most people's idea of biblical canon, even though it is present mm-hmm. in in Catholic Bibles and and in Orthodox Bibles. But it has some very weird elements that you just don't see pop up anywhere else in Scripture in any significant way. Mm-hmm. Um, demons in a very specific and personified way that mm-hmm. act in ways um, that sort of exhibit a, a human capacity for jealousy and love, uh, or at least jealousy and anger. Um, there's a, there's a, an angel who pretends not to be an angel or doesn't, doesn't exactly isn't straightforward about being an angel. Mm-hmm. There's um, sort of vague borderline sorcery, um, with uh, this magic fish, uh, mm-hmm. there is a, a guy who gets his eyes shat in by a bird, <laughs> and there is um, some really beautiful prayer. <laughs> so it like it ties every element of of the kind of um, outskirts of narrative scripture all together in in a super unique and super interesting way. Um, so I'm really glad that you brought this up. I think it, I think it was a perfect choice for you and I to do our second episode together on because um, it it suits us. I think in in an odd in an odd way. How so? I'm curious. How does it? How, how does it suit how us? How does it suit us? Yes. Well, we're both weirdos. Okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 heterodox in an American context to a certain certain degree. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to. I I hope you don't. No, you're not no, bothered by me no, referring. I, to you. No, I love. Him. I am a weirdo. But it's um it's a fascinating story, um, and there's a lot to um, there's a lot to talk about. So why don't we just dig in? Um, there's no way we're going to read through all of this. No. We're really only going to hit specific parts of this book. So I'd recommend anybody who's even curious about the rambling introduction that I just gave to the book, or anyone who's curious about the conversation that we have afterwards, um, to to go check it out themselves. You're not going to be bored. I promise you that. Um, you may be a little befuddled, a little confused, but by the end, it all kind of wraps itself up in a really nice, neat way that um, that I think is true to the message of uh, not just the Old Testament, but of the gospel that follows. So I, I, I gave a little bit of a description of that difference between the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible and Orthodox, um, you know, scriptural canon and things like that. But basically, the first understanding of a, of a coherent Bible was in Greek. 
and it was called the Septuagint. And it was basically all of the scripture that they had at the time that was sort of generally commonly accepted as canon, even though they hadn't really established a canon. And they put it all together in one place. So the Septuagint is the closest to, I think, the Catholic Bible. Um, and it wasn't really until um, until Martin Luther that as, as the church um, was was split, that they started to question bits of scripture and say, well, we're not going to accept this as part of what we, what we believe in anymore. We're not going to be, um, we're not going to be following whatever doctrinal um, guides are in, are in this portion of scripture, which I find is an interesting. uh, interesting So I have an an NRSV copy of the, um, the, the um, Catholic Bible. And I believe that this canon was decided. This is, is this not the, the canon that was decided the council of Nicaea? Trying to I believe exactly it, yeah, I believe which it was. Council. There's there's an incredible number of councils, and I have a very hard time remembering it happened at which one. <laughs> but I think it was it was I think in the 300s AD that this one was put together, and then what the 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 Protestant Reformation was like 15 30 yeah, something thousand so, plus years later. So I mean, so it, was, it was part of accepted of a, scripture for a oh, very yeah. long time, um, even though I think. It um, as the early church, the early Christian church was growing. I think there was uh, a lot of emphasis on the parts of the prophets that would specifically refer to uh, a Messiah, or specifically refer to like the Lamb of God and, and sacrifice and things like that. Mm-hmm. There is an element of metaphor here, where Tobit um, sends his son out into the world. Mm-hmm. That I think you could make sort of a vague connection to what God did with Jesus uh, mm-hmm. in sending Jesus to, to earth. Yeah. Um, I don't want to jump in that. Do we need to, do we need to start with like the, the setup of the, of the narrative? Um, uh, I think I maybe we could just, just I'll, I'll skip it. the, um, yeah. I'll skip the the bit about the family background and the location specifically. Basically, Tobit's in in Nineveh, and uh, Nineveh had a reputation at the time of being not a super welcoming uh, place for uh, Jews to live at the time. Uh, Israelites weren't well liked in certain areas. There was a king at this point who was at least somewhat tolerant or friendly to the Israelites, but uh, there was this sense, I think, that a lot of people that um, that were Jews at the time were kind of walking on eggshells. They weren't, they, they, they didn't really feel comfortable in this land. It was very much this sort of diaspora of, well, we, we have to land where we're going to land. We, we don't really have a choice. And, uh, and Tobit does his best, I think, to be as good of a person as he possibly can. And I think the king at the time, when, when the story begins, acknowledges that, but then that king passes away, right? And his son replaces him, and his son is very hostile to Jews, Mm-hmm. And um, they start. Is it the first burial, kind of burial scene where Tobit buries the bodies of the Israelites illegally, mm-hmm. um, where he he walks and he he comes back to town and sees they've been hanged, essentially, or like yeah. sees that they've been yeah, killed. Yeah, so in they're the being streets. executed and then they're yeah. being left hanging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as kind of like well, first of all, it's like a cultural humiliation, but it's also yes. like a message. Yes. And um, so Tobit, being the charitable person that he set up to be in the first chapter, um, takes the bodies down 
and, and gives them a proper burial, which is actually a very taboo thing for people of his culture to be doing at the time. They weren't supposed to touch dead bodies. And once you did, you were considered unclean. You weren't supposed to be around other people. And, um, and this is actually what gets Tobit in trouble uh, with, uh, with regards to his eyesight, uh, because no. he falls asleep under a tree, right? Mm. And an unfortunate thing occurs. <laughs> Do you have the um, note of, of which specific uh, verse that is? No. Um, it's after... Dang. I, it's one of the funniest things I've ever read in any scripture ever. Um, <laughs> uh, here it is. Um, it's 210. Oh, it is? Uh, okay, okay. Well, why don't I go 2, there. 9, and 10? That same okay. night, yeah, yeah, yeah. I washed yeah. myself and went into my courtyard and slept by the wall of the courtyard, and my face was uncovered because of the heat. I did not know that there were sparrows on the wall. Their fresh droppings fell into my eyes and produced white films. I went to physicians to be healed, but the more they treated me with ointments, the more my vision was obscured by the white films until I became completely blind. Um, so this was for me a new experience because it was the first time reading scripture where I like laughed out loud because there is kind of an element of comedy to it. Like there's a, there's kind of a pathetic, and I mean that in like, like literally a state of pathos, like meaningless, like meaningless suffering. Like it's a pathetic, just tragedy that befell him while he was like resting after doing so. Like what it's, he, he, he sleeps in the courtyard because he can't be around people because he touched dead bodies because he was essentially sacrificing his, um, social graces to honor the bodies of the dead and of course after having done something kind of like self-sacrificial in that way like birds take a dump in his eyes <laughs> and it's just like the mo like if if you if you were sitting in a, in a writer's room for a sitcom and you're like what's the stupidest thing that could happen to a good person in whatever episode you're writing, it's like, oh, you, yeah, the birds will poop in his eyes and then he'll go <laughs> blind. Like, it's, it was uproariously funny to me. And I think that there's this weird element, too, where it's like, no matter what the physicians were doing for me, they just made it worse. It's like, your <laughs> yes. eyes would have probably taken care of that problem no eventually. I think the doctors are the ones that actually eyes. blinded you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a really, it's like, if if there was any portion of the bible that was like borderline slapstick it's like that i just i thought that was really i don't want to say charming because it's a little belittling but like i just i really it was endeared me to the narrative even more that it was just like a really dumb way to suffer yeah and it, he hadn't just been doing this good deed for the for like the the dead people of his tribe you know of his culture but he was also like giving money to the poor uh like constantly I think something it said like half of the money that he made from income he would just give away to people. Yeah, uh, it was it was some figure like that. He was constantly so this is like a genuine all around good guy. Mm -hmm. And what happens? He's <laughs> he's blinded by bird shit. I mean, what a <laughs> it's so awful thing. dumb. <laughs> um, and that's it. Essentially, he's been blind, and no one can help him. And that's when he kind of. That like people are you know they're 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 making fun of him in the streets and they're no one will help him everyone thinks he's pathetic and he just essentially like prays to the Lord to like just let him die because he can't take it anymore 
And I didn't know if you wanted to read that. His um, um his prayer for his prayer, his prayer I mean, for it's, death. It's long, but okay. There's two prayers was... for death in this in this book too, mm-hmm. which is very strange because suicide. First of all, suicide as a topic is not one that's approached very often in scripture, really at all. But the circumstances of um of Sarah's suicidal desires or um, desire to die specifically mentioned like wanting to hang oneself. And, and that doesn't, I don't think anywhere else in scripture get mentioned except for Judas. Yeah. And there's no implication that Sarah is a bad person at all. I mean, it's just like Tobit. Um, these are people that have been like put upon in one way or another, uh, Sarah by a demon, not, uh, not by a, a bird, but yeah, Sarah had seven husbands and while raise it right before they were to consummate their marriage, a demon would kill each one. Yeah. That the prayer, Tobit's prayer uh, begging for death is actually right before the introduction of Sarah as a character. Um, do you want to read this or a portion of this or should I? You, you can. Okay. You got it. Uh, why don't I just go to, I'll just, I'll just go from the beginning. It's not that long. Uh, this is at chapter three, verse two. You are righteous, O Lord, and all your deeds are just. All your ways are mercy and truth. You judge the world. And now, O Lord, remember me and look favorably upon me. Do not punish me for my sins and for my unwitting offenses and those that my ancestors committed before you. They sinned against you and disobeyed your commands. So you gave us over to plunder, exile, and death to become the talk, the byword, and an object of reproach among all the nations among whom you have dispersed us. And now your many judgments are true in exacting penalty from me for my sins. For we have not kept your commandments and have not walked in accordance with with truth before you. So now deal with me as you will. Command my spirit to be taken from me so that I may be released from the face of the earth and become dust. For it is better for me to die than to live because I've had to listen to undeserved insults and great is is the sorrow within me. Command, O Lord, that I be released from this distress. Release me to go to the eternal home and do not, O Lord, turn your face away from me. For it is better for me to die and to see so much distress in my life and to listen to insults. It's a little, it's a little Joby, isn't it? I was actually talking to Jeremy about this earlier today, but there are a lot of parallels drawn between this and Job. Um, and from, from, you know, different, I this this is not nearly as strikingly catastrophic and dour as Job is. Um, his suffering his suffering is essentially limited to blindness in this. I don't, I don't remember him being afflicted in any other way. Um, yeah. It's blindness and, and, and humiliation. I think uh, yes, in general, which, I mean, that's, that's it. That's though, enough not, compared that's to what Job went through. That's, that's not really yes, as bad. But that's the, the, the patience necessary to endure great suffering is essentially the theme of Job. As far as I've read it, like it's just a, a man properly, and humanly encountering incredible suffering and taking it upon himself to overcome it mm-hmm. or endure it as long as it lasts. And this is, there is an element of that, but it's not, that's not the theme in the same way. Um, the, the way that both of them face their suffering is very similar though. Like yes. maintaining a posture of, you know, yes. uh, of, yes. of, of fear of God, of respect of God, you know, um, you know, always, um, Blessing the Lord and thanking the Lord, even mm-hmm. though, like, Tobit's literally saying, like, I would rather just die if that's a possibility. 
Yeah, but I, I won't do it to myself. You know, yeah. like I, he he understood. It would just if it's if it's of God's will, just let me die. You know. Yeah. Because um, it that's kind of the like the virtue of patience is extremely difficult, especially in times of suffering when you just kind of taking a, a step back and understanding that all things tend toward the good and everything that is is beautiful and good and like whatever it the case in where there is beauty in where in any of your circumstances mm-hmm. um the one thing i do think is interesting to point out about this prayer is it does mirror um kind of a a a christ-like posture towards the the circumstances of his suffering because he 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 literally takes upon himself all of the wrongdoings of every everyone that's ever come before him and takes responsibility for them. It's not that he blames his suffering on them, but he essentially blames his broken nature as a man for his suffering. And mm. then essentially, I don't I don't know if you could say it's it, it would be I mean it's it's a, it's a selfish prayer. But there's just like a, a kind of a Christ-like element of like I don't want, I necessarily want to say self-sacrifice because asking to die is not sacrifice, but um, that just that kind of adoption of responsibility for the sins of everybody around you is yeah, recognizing that the, yes. the culture, the the world as a whole is like is broken, and that's why we it. suffer in this way, yeah. not. Not like I did something bad and so I'm suffering because of it. It's that we we all suffer and it's because we all have screwed up in one way or another. But not my will, but yours be done. Like I want something from you still, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to insist upon it. I'll just say what I prefer if it's, you know, if it's all right with you. If it's going to keep if it's going to keep on like this, I'd rather not. Yeah. Yeah. And same with Sarah, as we mentioned. So Sarah is the daughter of Raguel, who, um, who is in a city uh, in Media, which is a city that, uh, that Tobis, uh, Tobit has sent his son Tobias out to um, go collect what's essentially like a debt or, or like a gift that's being, re, um, that's been re, that's being repaid to him, uh, to someone in that area. Um, because, because he, um, Tobit couldn't work, uh, his wife, was trying to work, but couldn't, they basically just couldn't make ends meet and they, they couldn't eat. So they were in a difficult enough position. So Tobit said to Tobias, go out to this land, uh, you know, retrieve this money and we'll be able to be, you know, we'll be able to eat again. And, and I'm sure Tobit would just give half of it away again, like he always does. Mm-hmm. But Sarah has a unique issue, this demon Asmodeus, who after each of her seven marriages on her wedding night, uh, Asmodeus the demon kills her husband before the before the marriage could be consummated. Essentially, what yeah. do you think the significance of a demon this specifically obsessed with one person is? Um, I, I don't know. That's an odd question. I know, but it's like we see forces of evil and temptation throughout the Bible. Uh-huh. You do not see one person following, like a demon following one person their entire life, actively like causing them misery in this way. I don't think in 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 any other piece of scripture that I can recall. Um, I I don't I can't think of any others either. Um, did you I mean do you have thoughts that specifically explain that device? 
No, I mean, I, I guess I don't. I, I thought it was so peculiar. It almost seemed like a haunting more than a, a curse, if that yeah. makes sense. Because it's so specific and because there's this one demon that's doing all of this but terrible stuff name, to her. You can name that the she's demon in yeah it. she's yeah. like haunted like in a in a ghost like way rather than rather than being tempted in in a, in the way that Satan acts I think in in most of the New Testament. Yeah, anytime that anytime that I don't I, I guess colloquially you could say Satan is giving someone a hard time. It's generally generally temptation, mm-hmm. which is an appeal to vice, which I mean speaks to that yeah, all all human evil and wrongdoing is a result of vice. And I don't, it's, it's interesting specifically here that she's not, it's not, it's at least not articulated that she is partaking of any vice that is to blame, that is causing her suffering. It's just an external force that, I mean, as far as the narrative go, randomly, picked her chose her as a victim it's because it doesn't i don't it doesn't do you i don't think it at any point really explains why asmodeus is terrorizing her in all of her marriages well this is why i brought up the notion of like jealousy or like i said love and that's probably obviously not the right word but it almost seems like this Asmodeus is obsessed with her and her specifically so much so that she's never able to consummate the marriages with the seven men that she's that she's married. The suffering that she endures is essentially not her own, but the, the suffering of the, the people that have married her and then the cultural implications of having had seven dead husbands, right? No one will marry her anymore. Yeah, there's no implication though that Asmodeus wants to marry Sarah either. So I yeah, mean, it's yeah, not yeah. exactly that kind of a that kind of an obsession, but it does strike me as as so strange. I mean, it, it's um, it it makes her distraught, obviously, because the people that she loves, or at least the people that she's going to marry, keep dying. And uh, I'm going to read through ten uh, ten down from uh, three ten down through her prayer because okay. it, it it parallels. In a, in a pretty major way, what Tobit's prayer was, but it's a little bit different. So at verse 10, it says, On that day, she was grieved in spirit and wept. When she had gone up to her father's upper room, she intended to hang herself, but she thought it over and said, Never shall they reproach my father, saying to him, You had only one beloved daughter, but she hanged herself because of her distress. And I shall bring my father in his old age down in sorrow to Hades. It is better for me not to hang myself, but to pray to the Lord that I may die and not listen to these reproaches anymore. At that time, with hands outstretched towards the window, she prayed and said, Blessed are you, merciful God. Blessed is your name. Let all your works praise you forever. And now, Lord, I turn my face to you and raise my eyes towards you. Command that I be released from the earth and not listen to such reproaches anymore. You know, O Master, that I am innocent of any defilement with a man and that I have not disgraced my name or the name of my father in the land of my exile. I am my father's only child. He has no other child to be his heir, and he has no close relative or other kindred for whom I should keep myself as wife. Already seven husbands of mine have died. Why should I still live? But it is not pleasing to you, O Lord, to take my life. 
hear me in my disgrace. So she still maintains, I think that, or she still maintains, I think that like, uh, God's in charge, but then she com- she says the word command, which which takes a different turn than than what Tobit. Obviously, the 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 lamentation of it all, the like laments of the sadness and the humiliation that she's suffering and the, and the torture that mm-hmm. she's living, very similar, but her posture towards God is a little bit different. You mean in verse thirteen, the command that I be released from the earth? Yeah. Yeah. Or is she is is she saying you need to command that I be in thir- yeah, it's a, it's commanding she's commanding that God command that she be released from the <laughs> Yeah, cuz it is it is confusing. I think she's ask asking for a command, but really she's commanding a command, right? Yeah. It wouldn't be said in a statement like that if it weren't an insistence upon mm-hmm. something that that she wants God to do. Because mm. th- th- it is kind of a, you know, and now, O oh Lord, I turn my face to you and raise my eyes towards you. And then she commands him to, to essentially kill her, release her from living. And that's, it's essentially, she is passing her own judgment on what ought to be and not submitting herself to what ought to be, at least in her desires mm-hmm. for the moment. Because she does cap it off and say, if, 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 if you won't let me die right now, at least listen to me yell about it. Um, which, I mean, Tobit, it's not exactly how... He doesn't end it that way. I think hers is, is a bit more dramatic and theatrical, um, which I think kind of reflects her situation. Um, she's pro- I don't know if she's more bereft than he is or not, but um, there's kind of a drama to Sarah's prayer that isn't present in Tobit's to the same degree. I find, I find seven it, husbands is a lot of husbands. I know. I mean, it's a much more flamboyant. It's shorter, but it's much... Uh, Hotter and heavier. Yeah, that last line at the end of 15, but if it is not pleasing to you, O Lord, to take my life, hear me in my disgrace. I mean, God always is going to hear her. She, I imagine this is not her first prayer along these lines, but it is yes. the specific uh, circumstances of her being like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill myself, I'm going to hang myself, and then her turning back and saying, no, I can't do that, but maybe God can. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost there's almost like a passive aggression at the end of it. Oh Lord, to take my life, he like just 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 listen to me, you know, like as if he hasn't been this whole time. Because mm-hmm. um, she's begging for him to to hear to hear her in her dis- in her disgrace is how she words it. It's like she's begging him to listen in a way that he hasn't been. Um, I mean, like you said, it's, it's obviously any normal person would probably have prayed quite a lot even after the first husband was killed by a demon. So it's, it's, this this isn't coming from nowhere and probably it doesn't have a, it's not a, it has a history. There's, there's probably dozens upon dozens of hundreds of prayers already made. Yeah. So, so, uh, Tobias is quite taken with, with Sarah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, when he when he goes to, to retrieve uh, Tobit's Tobit's money from is it Raggy Raguel? Raguel? Yeah, that's Raguel's that's Sarah's father, right? Mm-hmm. So, so uh, he, he's so Tobias is so taken with uh, with Sarah that uh, he actually like lingers while he's in in media to <laughs> to collect this. He doesn't go back immediately. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the implication that I got there. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted some extra, he wanted some extra time. Yeah. Uh, and, and then of course they, they're to be wed. But before that happened, uh, Tobias makes a new friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe friend's not the right word. But um, Raphael. Well, who, who, what's his name? Is it, It's not initially Raphael. It's someone they hire. Yes, Tobit yes. hires him to to uh, chaperone Tobias to the city. Azariah, Azariah, is that his name first? I think so. That's my one problem with um, reading anything like this, anything of scripture, is there's like 40 names you have to keep track of. (laughs) It is, it is. It's brother Azariah, yeah. Because this is where, where Tobias gets his magic fish. Yes. Um, at the beginning of chapter six, uh, yeah. I'll just read this little section here because it's it's also kind of odd with with different imagery. Um, the young man went out, and the angel went with him, and the dog came out with him and went along with them. So they both journeyed along, and when the first night overtook them, they camped by the Tigris River. Then the young man went down to wash his feet in the Tigris River. Suddenly, a large fish leaped up from the water and tried to swallow the young man's foot, and he cried out. But the angel said to the young man, catch hold of the fish and hang on to it. So the young man grasped the fish and drew it up on the land. Then the angel said to him, cut open the fish and take out its gall, heart, and liver. Keep them with you, but throw away the intestines, for its gall, heart, and liver are useful as medicine. So after cutting open the fish, the young man gathered together the gall, heart, and liver, and then he roasted and ate some of the fish and kept some to be salted. <sighs> okay, so I don't know fish. enough about, like, uh, medicine in this era, but was that a common belief that, I, I that those organs would have been? I, I can't pretend to even guess accurately. I don't know. Because um, it seemed curious to me, but then part of the use of these fish parts isn't the medicine aspect of it. It becomes like a burnt offering to yeah. ward off the demon. Mm-hmm. Was that the that was was that the heart of the liver? I don't remember which they used. I know I, the gall was for the eyes. I don't the gall is for the eyes. Um, um, everybody remember that if you go blind, rub fish gall on your eyes. Ah, here it is. <laughs> Chapter eight. Your sight. Uh, this is after the after the the wedding. When they'd finished eating and drinking, they wanted to retire, so they took the young man and brought him into the bedroom. Then Tobias remembered the words of Raphael, and he took the fish's liver and heart out of the bag where he had had them and put them on the embers of the incense. The odor of the fish so repelled the demon that he fled from the remotest parts, fled to the remotest parts of Egypt. Like he, he stunk him out of, of the bedroom and kept <laughs> Asmodeus from killing yet another one of her husbands. <laughs> It doesn't even really. It doesn't even really say that he does it intentionally. 
Yeah. I, well, does Raphael just say, hey, this is going to be useful to you? And it's yeah. like one of those like RPG details that you have to like, oh, yeah, that's right. I collected a key uh, six hours ago and now I have to use it for this door that I don't know how to get into or something like that. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that he just places them on the em- like on the embers of the incense and then again like you said stinks them out of the bedroom <laughs> and Nick Dutch just there isn't any explanation needed for how that worked it, it does seem very it doesn't seem uh, it, it does like what did you call say meta, you, you used the word metaphor earlier but it almost feels more like um, uh, like fable like it's there's like a vague sense of witchcraft here or something. And I know that's probably not yeah, an okay thing for me. There's, there's my heresy of the week. This yeah, week. Yeah. Well, that's just the kind of the colloquially or colloquially the word you might use to describe it. it to the untrained eye might seem more pagan. Yeah. Um, in to just like burn fish guts and repel the demon out of the well, because burnt offerings were a thing, right? I mean, oh, but that wasn't that wasn't an, unu- an unusual yes. thing to it's do. It's the fact that it re- literally repelled a, an actual anthropomorphic demon out of the room. And, and doing this in your own bedroom is also not him. traditionally the way that you you do burnt offerings, right? That's usually done in a temple or at an altar. Yeah, it's a very it's um. There's an element. Like, oh, that is interesting. There's kind of an element of informality about it. Yeah. There's no reverence to the act of, I don't even know if you could call it a burnt offering, because what are you offering it to? Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's not being offered. It's, it's being it's, used as a, as a as it's being used repellent. as a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know what the significance of that is. There's many, there are many details in this that are um, weirdly unique to the vast majority of scripture. And I have not actually, like I haven't gone through the Maccabees yet. I haven't got, there's, there's books I still need to explore and they might contain details that are more along these lines. I don't know. Um, but I do agree that it's like, it's strange. I did say at the beginning of, or it, in a, in a portion of the intro in the NRSV about why Tobit was not widely accepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. It, it refers to... You said demon, in NRSV? Uh, NRSV, the Oxford. Because um, I know, I think it's the Maccabees that reference um, purgatory. Um, there's a couple, there's, there's a book or two that reference purgatory, and obviously Protestants are not a fan of the concept of purgatory. Um, no. I mean, I don't think that... And there's like like that's a really obvious example of why they would um, remove a book from the Bible. Like like purgatory is like really loud and obvious. But I I didn't aside from a personified demon. I don't know what else would be problematic. Well, this this introduction refers to it as an exorcism too, which is. Extremely the, Catholic. Obviously. The, the most, I think, the most normal way to describe it in the context of, like, the way that demons are treated in the New Testament, mm-hmm. like that's that's what they did with demons. But I don't think anywhere in the New Testament they they cast them out with like stinky stinky fish parts. Because do they 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 still 
this I mean Catholics still burn incense in churches. Yes. Do they not for cleansing purposes? I or believe what's so. The, so. But it's not it's not fish, I guess specifically. Oh, of it's course, like yeah. is it, the, is it, uh, the specificity the of the parts uh it, it struck me as as odd because like incense it's already incense, right? The incense is already yeah. lit. And he's dropping this onto the incense. Mm-hmm. Um so it changes that ritual a little bit, I think. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the significance of that is. And again, I think there is something about how I grew up with 66 books of the Bible and I can approach any of them reasonably um, prepared. But reading this, I, I had to read it like four or five times to start to like pick apart um, exactly what it was supposed to be about. I was one striking or one thing that struck me about it um, specifically, especially coming from something like Job, like we said earlier, um, I, I was expecting more suffering mm-hmm. and more, um, he doesn't have to do a ton of, um, cool, I don't even know what you'd say, like resigning himself to the structure of being like, he doesn't have to do that to the same degree that Job constantly has to do. He just he, he does kind of have one moment where he he wishes for death, and then after that, he's essentially he's kind of the pillar of optimism, especially between between um, he and his wife when his their son leaves, and the wife is constantly bereft that especially after after Tobias lingers for much longer than they expected, they assume she assumes he's dead, and Tobit the the entire time is just reassuring his wife that Tobias will return because he just has faith that he will. Yeah. In chapter 10, um, that's so the, after, after the, after the wedding and after Mm -hmm. they drive the demon out, Raguel actually asks his wife to bake. This is sorry. This is back at, um, chapter eight, verse 19. Mm Mm-hmm. After this, he asked his wife to bake many loaves of bread, and he went out to the herd and brought two steers and four rams and ordered them to be slaughtered. So they began to make preparations. Then he called for Tobias and swore on an oath to him in these words, you shall not leave here for 14 days, but shall stay here eating and drinking with me, and you shall cheer up my daughter who has been depressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's actually insisting that Tobias, that Tobias stays for longer, even though you fast forward another chapter to 10. And Anna is distraught, thinking Tobias is dead, thinking that Tobit has sent Tobias off on on a mission to be to be killed. Then, which is essentially what she says at the, when they first send him out. Yep. Yeah, it's um, it's it's so interesting. Yeah, because Tobias then goes from because uh, <laughs> Tobit then goes from being the the suffering one who is wishing death to to being like, honey, like he's fine, he's coming back. Yeah, it's it's Tobit is the he has the most trust in God's will bending towards the good or bending everything towards the good that like just have faith that God will bring our son back and he will and then he does and I was just I I I don't know if it's just my love for for tragic drama or something but I was like kind of expecting the son to die <laughs> Would, would be very biblical, wouldn't it? I know. I was like, oh, okay, so the son's <laughs> going to be killed by marauders, and then 
his body's going to be brought back, and they're going to have to do this whole thing, and then Tobit's going to have to, you know, come to come to terms with the fact that his son's... You know, I was just kind of expecting a kind of a dour, dramatic turn for the worse that they were going... Because that's... A, I mean, so much of the Old Testament especially is people having to come to terms with the fact that things are not the way they want them to be. Um, and the fact that everything, like, largely turns out fine... And nothing, uh, except for Tobit being blinded, nothing that bad happens, aside from, like, the you know the narrative device of, like, Israelites being killed by the the king that hates them and stuff. There's no... I don't know if that makes sense, like, what I'm trying to say about it, but, like, it was it was just striking to me that everything was fine. Yeah, and, and Tobit is so certain that, um, that Azariah is trustworthy, even though he, like, he just met him right before Tobias goes out. Mm-hmm. on this quest uh in ten six, uh tobit says be quiet and stop worrying my dear he's all right probably something unexpected has happened there no kidding no. the man who went with him is trustworthy and is one of our own kin do not grieve for him my dear so uh tobit was his charity was largely towards his own people t- towards his own tribe towards mm-hmm. believers like him and so mm-hmm. he he felt so uh, akin to the people that shared his faith that he would meet a, someone who like literally just came into his life basically yeah, and, and said no that this guy's trustworthy yeah. like I know yeah. this guy's got my back uh, or or Tobias's back which I thought again was like another interesting thing that as much as Tobit gets shit on like literally and metaphorically in the world yeah. in this book he still maintains it's like no my people we look out for each other. And, you know, believing in the kindness of strangers and, and believing, believing in, you know, trustworthiness to, to Raguel, who he had given this money to ages ago, that mm-hmm. he would still have it for him, that it would, he would return it. And the fact that he did and that nothing, the thing that went wrong, quote unquote, to keep their son much longer was actually just the father-in-law wanting to hang out with his son-in-law <laughs> for longer. And, and wanting him to cheer up, cheer up his new, his new bro. <laughs> Yeah, it was just, it's like totally innocent and not nefarious. Um, I think, I just think it's kind of striking that there, it's, it's any, again, aside from the blindness and the humiliation that comes from it, any, any worry was not warranted. Any, any worry was essentially just kind of elected because they, like his wife was unwilling to trust god's will to return their son to them yeah and and then you know quickly thereafter like uh mere moments after um at least in the text after you know anna is is worrying so so deeply about tobias that he everything starts to get soft tobias returns isn't it amazing uh, it turns out Azariah wasn't just one of their own people. He was actually an angel. He's going to come to help you be healed. And, uh, you know, uh, Tobit says this incredible prayer. I won't read that whole one because that's rather rather long, but it is beautiful. And again, if you're reading through this text, you should definitely focus on this prayer because it maintains that right relationship with God. It maintains that right, like, posture towards God. But they take the, um, they take the fish gall. And they, they give Tobit his eyesight back. Yeah, he rubs it into his eyes. 
<laughs> Which, um, I don't know how that works. Um, I don't necessarily know if that... Does, do they not call it a miracle? No, I, I don't... I mean, I don't know because it, it it's initially, um, you know, Raphael says this is going to be useful as medicine. So mm-hmm. it, it's just a, a, a cure, but I don't know if they, it doesn't seem like they it, I necessarily. Don't, no, it doesn't say that. I was, I was curious if they used the word or not. Cause you know, things biblically, I think things are only miracles if they call them miracles. Um, but it is like a, it's a remarkable example yes. of like God's mercy and love and grace mm-hmm. um, more than anything. It's like, uh, every every earthly expert in the field had tried uh, and failed to give Tobit his eyesight back, and this um, this stranger who wanders into their lives and um, walks Tobias into a fruitful a future life, uh, a marriage, and um, and an inheritance, a significant inheritance. Uh, then goes, yeah, remember that thing I told you to grab when that fish tried to eat your foot? Um, try this. <laughs> That's That sounds like a miracle to me. I mean, I don't know. But the interesting thing, so one, I, and this is not a fully formed thought, so it might be a waste of time to share it, but <laughs> something um, we've covered on my show quite a bit is the distinction between the relationship between... I guess the, what would you say, the the substantial reality of man and the formal reality of man, that in, like, Aristotelian thought and, by extension, through Aquinas, like, um, in Catholic um, theology, the body is composed of both body body and mind, or body and soul, however you'd like to say it, the formal and the substantial, and that the, the corporeal feature of of man and being itself is good but uh, as well as the mind but there's there depending on which um sect of protestant um thinking you uh what's the word you or i guess with which whichever you uh, man i lost my sentence i had a fancy sentence structure lined up but i lost (laughs) depending on which um system of protestant thought you reference um there's an evil attributed to the physical and a goodness attributed to the spiritual slash mental slash soul that are always kind of in conflict and I find it interesting that this specifically attributes healing power to the physical in a way that it's, it's not, I, 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 I don't think you can attribute anything. I think the the instinct is to attribute something supernatural about the fish heart and liver and gall. But I don't think, I think unless it really articulates it, unless scripture actually articulates something, I don't know if you can infer it. No, no, I think you're right. I mean, there is something super tactile about this whole book. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's kind of presence strictly in the physical world, especially when it comes to a de- like an anthropomorphized demon, which is super rare, um, is, is really different. And then when, um, what's his name? Az- Azariah, correct? Yeah, real Raphael, well, yeah. Yeah, when Az- Azariah reveals himself to... Uh, Tobit and Tobias that as the that he's actually the angel Raphael like 
he's he's an angel in physical form even then. It doesn't really talk about it doesn't discuss any character or plot device in um like meta real terms or like um spiritual terms really. I think the, you when you said it's grounded in the physical, it's like it really is like a purely I don't want to say material because that's kind of a loaded word, but like it really just discusses the physical in a way. Yeah, and the way that angels are um, are, uh, are referred to elsewhere in in the in mm. the Old Testament, it, they're very different uh, beings. <laughs> they're yeah. very different looking uh, to people. They are often startling and uh, and 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 sort of fear inducing and. They're, they they can't even tell that he's an angel, right? And he's not like pulling a Scooby Doo mask off at the end, right? Like, I think he's just being like, no, actually, I was just here to to help. Like, I was sent by God to help, yeah. but I'm I'm not really of this world. I'm 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 here for you know I'm here as an angel for God. Yeah, I find that very because it also just doesn't. It's very it's a very unceremonious book. It doesn't revel in what it reveals for very long. It's not it's not dramatic or theatrical. It's very matter of fact. Like when like the moment where Raphael reveals himself, it's not a huge deal. No, it's kind of wrapped up in a neat little bow, actually. I mean it's not like um the the whole story gets gets really cleaned up and and you know of course there are these breaks of of prayer that are extended at times course, but yeah. it's not like um it's not like the books of the prophets uh in in that way you know the, this is very yeah. much like the story of a man who experienced like a a, a a miraculous thing or an incredible thing and you know interacted with supernatural beings but he himself wasn't really spoken to by God in that way. It's all like outward prayer. It's not like, um, it's not like he's receiving a message. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you sensed the like Christological, uh, parallel between the angel Raphael and Christ that an angel can like essentially concealed himself as a, a pedestrian Israelite only to reveal his divinity at the end. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that he helps Tobit gain his sight back, which is one of the many miracles that Christ like performed yes. when yes. he was on, you know, when he was still on earth, like yes. that that's, I can see why this would be part of Christian canon. Why I can see less why someone would want to cut it out of Christian canon because it, it, it kind of lines up. Yeah, I don't, I, again, I don't know. I, I actually spent a while trying to Google search exactly why things were taken out. And I think that they were taken out so long ago and each, um, each party, uh, on, on either side of the argument as to whether they should be included or not, I think are so familiar with the, uh, the arguments of the other that there's just not a lot of resources Yeah, for like the layman to just like, there's no like, I, I think even the Wikipedia article on the quote unquote apocrypha is like not super satisfactory in its explanation <laughs> as to why. But I also, do, I just don't think that most people operate on like an extremely dense theological um, dimension. Yeah. 
So I just, I just don't, I think that people who do just kind of know already, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that probably, I mean, that's probably doesn't justify it, but I just was, I can't believe there's not information online everywhere as to why they were removed or why this was. Cause I don't, again, it's, it's, it could be the personified demon. Not there. I can't. It could be the way the that the angel part. moves about in the world too, because that is pretty atypical to to how, you well, know, there there the, there are appearances of angels right away in the new, obviously right away in the new yes, testament. Yes, obviously. But, um, but that like he goes on this hero's journey with mm-hmm. uh, with Tobias is very unusual. Um, it, there's a lot of things that I can see why, and this is, you know, prefacing this with saying that I li- I literally haven't haven't landed on 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 a side of of oh, the of split in general uh, between yeah. Catholics, Orthodox, and and, um, and uh, Protestants. But I could see why Protestants who tend to uh, situate themselves <clears throat> to to a more uh, plain spoken, uh, less magical uh, mm-hmm. as with regards to like our world less magical perspective to our world um, would say this is not, this doesn't fit, right? This, this, mm. this, this can't be. Well, it, it kind of attributes a divinity to the mundane in a way that not a lot of the others do. Yeah. Um, again, it doesn't, it, there's no, there's no, it doesn't say explicitly that the, um, the Gaul was specifically blessed by a prophet to cure Tobit's blindness. It doesn't say that God attributed to the Gaul any special quality that made him like special fish Gaul that could cure blindness. It doesn't do. It doesn't say that the fish was even sent by God for that specific purpose, right? It was just yes. a fish that went up to bite his foot. Yeah. And the angel just said, Hey, grab that. You need that later. <laughs> Um, wow. yeah, I just find it very, I don't know. I don't know what the reason is and I haven't been able to, uh, satiate my, cause you know, I'm like, I, 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 I think I kind of fall, I have fallen mostly on the Catholic side of the, the, the schism. Um, but I, I haven't even been able to, I'm, I haven't been satisfied by a Catholic answer either. They mm-hmm. just kind of laugh at it a little bit. They're like, ha, 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 silly Protestants. And then that's kind of their answer. I'm like, I'm like, okay, why did they take it out? And they're like, oh, they're Protestants. And I'm like, that's not an answer yeah. at all. <laughs> that, that, that Martin Luther, he sure did like to cause trouble. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not one of you. Like, you got you to gotta, you gotta do better for me. Um, um, if anyone out there knows a more satisfying answer for why specifically Tobit would have been taken out uh, of the canon by the Protestants, uh, you know, send me a, a message somewhere. I, I really am curious, and um, and uh, and yeah, I, I think do it's, know that it's other books like phenomenon. other books do do like reference purgatory, which is obviously not popular with Protestants. There's like there's like much more explicit um, examples of things that are just like overtly not. Um, they don't play well with Protestant theology. Those like have more like, yeah, like doctrinal theological just, differences. Yes. Though, whereas this doesn't really strike me as that. Uh, that's sort of a core issue. Um, or you know what? 
I'm having a memory. I think there were a few. There is no other book of the Bible that references Tobit. I think it's one oh, issue they have. With yeah. It. Wait. No. 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 I think you're right. I don't. I. I don't remember <laughs> if it's this one. I think there's one or two that are not referenced by any other. It might actually be that the only other references to Tobit are in other parts of the, the Apocrypha. Yes, something like that. I think. I think it has to do with the self-referential or the self-referencing nature of. Um, and the, uh, of course, the counter argument is the, so the counter argument. I will say, just to be fair. Um, cause I understand that if like you, if you have a book and if your if your goal is to, um, kind of just, or, uh, what's the word, justify the validity of a set of books in reference to each other. If one of the books isn't referenced by any of the others, it, it, it kind of weakens its case for inclusion, but I, you can't, if I, again, I don't know, but if Tobit is only referenced in the books of the Apocrypha, it's like, that's kind of a self validating argument like yeah well we took Tobit out because it isn't referenced anywhere else it's like well of course because you took the you books took out Maccabees out yeah, <laughs> yeah like you took the books out that reference it you can't that's not really fair I don't know that um that that I should probably uh probably get to the bottom of that here soon because I have no idea because I mean I asked my mother I was like why why do you think they took him out and she's like oh you can just tell when something's evil and I was like <laughs> Like mom, mom, I love you, but like that. How could anyone read Tobit and think that it's evil? <laughs> I just was, I was just kind of like, okay. So you uh, haven't thought about this either, um, <laughs> and I don't know what what's going on. Um, one thing I'd like to mention that was kind of the biggest uh, takeaway for me is because what we're we're at an hour, so we should yeah, probably wrap I, up we should probably start soon. to wrap up sometime soon. Yes, I just wanted to say. The, so, Job, there's a lot of parallels between this and Job. Um, I don't know in your translation... Which translation did you read? Uh, the NRSB. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. It has slight variations from my version of... Well, NRSB. I also stumble over words when I read sometimes, oh, so if I, if okay. I miss something... So okay, 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 okay. But, you know, there was constant reference to almsgiving. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the phrase almsgiving was used, like, give alms, almsgiving was a constant reference. Um, if you if you were to attribute, or if one were to attribute a cardinal virtue to Job, it would very obviously be patience. Um, because the virtue needed to, or the virtue required to over, to, or I guess to, to suffer so greatly and overcome it with your faith intact is patience. Because you just have to be patient and understand that God's will is what it is and reality is what it is and you don't get to decide and whatever's happening to you is what is. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're suff- suffering. I think the Aristotelian argument was that um, suffering is the desire for that which is not. So anytime you're suffering, it's, 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 you are experiencing the, the pain induced by just desiring that which you don't have or is not or you can't have or whatever. Okay. Um, this story is one of like extreme charity and like self-sacrifice in a, like, like the, in like a much more, I don't want to say material way, 
but it does just a, there's a lot of emphasis on physically giving your stuff to other people. Yeah, and, and that's what Tobit is known for. Like yes. his his whole um, reputation, the, what 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 builds him up as in the beginning of the story as like a, a serious man of God is his generosity to others and his willingness to you know take care of those who are less fortunate than him. Um, which is obviously what I mean. What it means to be Christ-like is to sacrifice oneself for the, the good of the other. Which is, I mean, which is that's what love is: is sacrifice for the good of the other, willing willing the good. Um, and the fact that Tobit constantly does that and never ceases is extremely mirroring of Christ in a way. Um, I think that the the charity of Christ in his sacrifice is articulated very well in Tobit. Yeah, I mean that's that's like the most beautiful takeaway I think that Christians can can have for this. It's like uh, not not like you'll you God's going to send you on a on like a, a magical journey, but that like um, your your persistence in in giving and sacrificing will. Um, will always be appreciated and and sometimes repaid. I'm trying to think God. what the was it Raphael that literally said. I don't remember exactly what the. I don't have the reference in front of me. And I don't necessarily need it to read it specifically, but um, he says that almsgiving will purge evil. Will it purges sin? <laughs> like he he. I think I don't remember exactly. The I don't words recall that specific uses. line, but yeah, I mean that's. Sounds about there, right, though, doesn't I think it? It's essentially, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of. It, there's this. It, he he literally. I think it's the phrase is it will it purges sin or something. Like alms giving purges sin, and like he, he's just extolling the virtue of giving your stuff away. Um, and that's another th- another thing that I don't that it could have led to its removal as its focus on the, like you can pay your way to salvation in a way, just by, by giving your stuff away is enough. Oh, like um, acts versus faith. That yes. Old, I think yeah, that, that probably like, in like, in like, like, you know, the Protestants really hated indulgences at the beginning. And like this kind of validates it a bit in like a financial sacrifice, which is still sacrifice. It's a different kind of sacrifice, but I don't know. Yeah, but Tobit's faith was unshakable in the, in the face of, of the suffering that he was going through. You know, you could, you could frame it that way, I guess, but I don't really think that that, that's not the message, even though he does wind up, you know, like rich and healthy and, and, uh, you know, and then Tobias winds up with a, with an enormous inheritance and, and they, they all live to 145 years old or however old everybody lived until back then. <laughs> yeah. Second um, sons or whatever it was. And, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a very not, it was not a turbulent story. No, really. And it was just, actually a wonderful read just like from a literary standpoint too. And I hate to, I hate to engage with scripture in that way, you know, at all, but it, it literally well, just, was, can, it was can, like, it's well, like well can, written too. You can appreciate the beauty of text in yeah. like an aesthetic sense also. Like it's like why I like Proverbs so much is it's so beautifully written. Um, but yeah.
Um, did you have anything else to say about Tobit? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Are we both operating on three hours of sleep, I think? Yeah, is yeah we're both operating yeah. on yeah, three hours of sleep. I'm, I'm fading, so how about we do this? Yeah. Uh, okay. You do a plug or two, if you like, and then let's do a prayer together. Um, so like I said at the beginning, um, I am one of the two hosts of Contra Gentiles. I do it with my, uh, professor friend, Jeremy. Um, it's like a metaphysics podcast. Um, we get a lot of good, um, a lot of good, uh, feedback regarding, um, kind of validating the faith for people or like validating whatever people's faith is. Um, it's a lot of, you know, theological argument. I think the, the one we just, we just covered, um, uh, kind of a seminal or anarcho-capitalist essay. Cause a bunch of my anarchist friends on Twitter wanted us to cover, um, something by Murray Rothbard. And we somehow in it, we ended up in a description of what it means to be Christ-like in this whole, you know, like self-sacrifices, which is one of like both Jeremy and my favorite things to talk about. Um, but no, I think that thematically, our, I don't want to say our shows are like made for each other, but I think that they, we don't, we do almost no uh, analysis of scripture, but we do all of the theological argumentation. So I've actually turned people towards your show a little bit when they ask specifically about like scripture itself. I'm like, I have no clue. Like when you, when you ask me, both times you've asked me to come on here, I'm like, I have no idea why I'm qualified to talk about this, but let's try it. But why am I qualified either? Grant? I, I, mean, know. I know, I know. We'll, we'll, we'll eventually be, be priests in a mountain somewhere, but you know, that's the goal. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. That's um, the goal. <laughs> um, yeah. so Advent just started, um, and as such, I thought it would be, um, rather than a poem this week, appropriate for us to pray the litany of the infant Jesus together. Uh, I get a lot of my litanies and, and chaplets and things like that from a rosary app that I've downloaded. Uh, it sounds corny, but it's actually a really great resource. And it's, uh, it's very comprehensive. So if anyone's ever interested in looking at, at some more liturgical prayer stuff, uh, I would I would encourage checking some of that. I think this one's just called Rosary. I think that's actually is that the that's the one that they banned in China recently. Oh really? Is it not? I don't remember. Maybe. Oh lord, that's another conversation. No one, I'm glad this isn't my show. <laughs> no, I'm just saying this is this is my show, so no one can fact check me or fact check me. Um, I just remember. I think that I, that I don't want to have a conversation about it. I just that was kind of rang a bell when he said the name was just Rosary. It has a nice, a very nice um, bell, like church bell sound. Anytime you open it up, even if your volume's off. Oh, I love that. I'm not sure how it overrides that, but it does it every time. <laughs> Wait, it, like when you have your your, your sound off? <laughs> it just does it. Uh, anyway, They're okay. So again. this is. Are you ready? Yeah. Is it the? It's the litany to the infant Jesus. Yes. Okay. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Jesus, hear us. Jesus, graciously hear us. God, the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, 
Have mercy on us. God, the Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God. Have mercy on us. Infant Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us. Infant true God. Have mercy on us. Infant Son of the living God. Have mercy on us. Infant Son of the Virgin Mary. Have mercy on us. Infant strong in weakness. Have mercy on us. Infant powerful in tenderness. Have mercy on us. Infant treasure of grace. Have mercy on us. Infant fountain of love. Have mercy on us. Infant renewer of the heavens. Have mercy on us. Infant repairer of the evils of the earth. Have mercy on us. Infant head of the angels. Have mercy on us. Infant root of the patriarchs. Have mercy on us. Infant speech of the prophets. Have mercy on us. Infant desire of the Gentiles. Have mercy on us. Infant joy of the shepherds. Have mercy on us. Infant light of the magi. Have mercy on us. Infant salvation of infants. Have mercy on us. Infant expectation of the just. Have mercy on us. Infant instructor of the wise. Have mercy on us. Infant first fruit of all saints. Have mercy on us. Be merciful. Spare us, O infant Jesus. Be merciful. Graciously hear us, O infant Jesus. From the slavery of the children of Adam. Infant Jesus, deliver us. From the slavery of the devil. Infant Jesus, deliver us. From the evil desires of the flesh. Infant Jesus, deliver us. From the malice of the world. Infant Jesus, deliver us. From the pride of life. Infant Jesus, deliver us. From the inordinate desire of knowing. Infant Jesus, deliver us. From blindness of spirit. Infant Jesus, deliver us. From an evil will. Infant Jesus, deliver us. From our sins. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Through thy most pure conception. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Through thy most humble nativity. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Through thy tears. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Through thy most painful circumcision. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Through thy most glorious epiphany. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Through thy most pious presentation. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Through thy most divine life. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Through thy poverty. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Through thy many sufferings. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Through thy labors and travels. Infant Jesus, deliver us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us, O infant Jesus. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Graciously hear us, O infant Jesus. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Jesus, infant, hear us. Jesus, infant, graciously hear us. Let us pray. O Lord Christ, though we are pleased so to humble thyself in thine incarnate divinity, and most sacred humanity as to be born in time and become a little child. Grant that we may acknowledge infinite wisdom in the silence of a child, power in weakness, and majesty in humiliation. Adoring thy humiliations on earth, may we contemplate thy glories in heaven, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Last night I dreamed that I was a child 
Out where the pines grow Wild and tall I was trying to Make it home through the forest Before the darkness falls I heard the wind rustling Through the trees And ghostly voices from the fields I ran with my heart pounding down that broken path with the devil snapping at my heels I broke through the trees and there in the night my father's house stood shining hard and bright the branches and brambles tore my clothes and scratched marks but I ran till I fell shaking 